Synergy is something that gets talked about a lot nowadays. It comes from the Greek word for working together. The idea that a few things can come together and become something better than the individual ingredients is something that can apply to lots of things like sports teams, musical arrangements, and even natural farming. When the right ingredients with the right attributes come together, wondrous things can happen that we may not have expected. Sometimes bringing those things together incorrectly can be bad too. As we move through our lives, we try to put together more good synergies than we do bad ones. Cultivating cannabis is essentially a practice in creating good synergies. And today we're going to talk about creating good synergies in Korean natural farming. If you want to learn about cannabis health, business, and technique efficiently and with good cheer, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you new podcast episodes as they come out, delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week and videos too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when a new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. Also, we're giving away very cool prizes to folks who are signed up to receive the newsletter. There's nothing else you need to do to win except receive that newsletter. So go to shapingfire.com to sign up for the newsletter and be entered into this month's and all future newsletter prize drawings. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Los. My guest today is Chris Trump. Chris is a master natural farmer certified by Master Cho of Korea. He has also studied microbial analysis under Dr. Elaine Ingham. Many consider his YouTube videos explaining Korean natural farming techniques to have been the key to KNF's wildly increasing popularity in the U.S. It is especially helpful that Chris is a certified KNF educator who actually speaks English. You can take Chris's courses online at naturalfarming.co and in person across the U.S. Chris has been a guest before on episode 35 explaining the basics of KNF and its sudden rise of popularity in the U.S. Today, we'll be discussing how to blend CANF preps in order to use them properly to create synergies. Welcome back to Shaping Fire, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me, Sango. Right on, Good man. talking with you. Yeah, good to have you back. So since I started studying KNF a few years ago, I have both made a few preparations and I've actually received a lot of them from friends too. And I have enough now that I really actually need a small fridge to store them in besides my <laughs> kitchen fridge, right? Um, what that means even more though, is that not only do I have ferments, but like I've got enough to get myself into trouble. <laughs> when I took your nutrition cycle course online last week, I realized that much of what I thought I knew was actually wrong. Um, classic bro science learning on my part, I'd say. Um, so let's start by knocking down some of those misconceptions that are being repeated by, you know, well-intentioned people online. The one that stands out for me is the idea that KNF preparations should only be used once at a, once at a, one at a time. I really thought that was the case. So, you know, what do you teach about that uh, that you learned from uh, your teacher, Master Cho? Yeah, it's um, it is. It's really common, and um, it's um, it it's actually not good. Some of, some of the preps by themselves are so far from a balanced nutrient that um, we can get into trouble. Um, yeah, so with natural farming, there's there's never there's not a single thing we use by itself. Um, so if you're if you've got a natural farming prep, you're in need of the complementary nutrients or or um, you know I call the individual preps inputs and the, um, the combination of them solutions. And, uh, so you're never using an input like an FPJ or an OHN or something by itself. You're blending it into a solution, 
um, for for a balanced nutrient. And so it's uh, it's important. FPJ by itself, for example, probably the most common, you know, one used by itself um, is imbalanced enough that you're um, potentially and, and likely going to create a bug problem. Um, it's like candy coating or fattening your over fattening your plant. And it's just asking for critters. So, yeah, it's it's a big deal. Definitely. So let's let's break out that term uh, balanced nutrient. So um, uh, tell me a little bit um, at the at the real basic level, what is a balanced nutrient versus an imbalanced nutrient? What are their characteristics and, and how will I know the difference when I see them? Yeah, so um, so we use vinegar and kind of as a base. It's one of the you know core um, inputs needed for for making anything in natural farming. And so the the basic preparation that most things are are kind of added to would be um, vinegar, rice vinegar, preferably um, OHN oriental herbal nutrient and fpj fermented plant juice you would mix those um to get your maintenance solution or seed soak solution um i have a video i think on youtube on seed soak solution or ses um but that is kind of your um starter if you will you start with that and then if your plants in need of nitrogen for vegetative growth you're, you're moving into uh, adding, you know, fish amino acid. But the, the balance comes in the, the vinegar, that pH, that sourness, um, that acid um, plays well with this kind of compost extract or uh, liquid compost that FPJ is. And then OHN um, is this, you know, we use it so little. There's such a tiny amount um, but the, um, the little bits of alcohol in the OHN actually promote, um, circ- the kind of, or foster, um, kind of a good reaction in the circulatory system of a plant, um, being able to take in nutrients like FPJ and, uh, and there is a nutrient in the rice vinegar or grain vinegar. There's nutrients in other vinegars too. And if you don't have rice vinegar, it's okay. But that that complementary kind of dynamic that happens in these multiple types of inputs um, is is really what makes this work. And using any of it by itself, um, you're off in experiment land um, with an untried system um, and something that none of us have seen good results from. So yeah, it's it's um, it's kind of like don't bother. Uh, making FPJ if you're going to try and use it by itself. You're better off, you know. I mean, yeah, maybe you can mix it in some water and drench it on the ground with some other things that you like. But um, generally speaking, keep it away from a foliar application by itself. It's interesting. I actually really like... um... I don't know, the level of magnitude that you answered that question in about a balanced nutrient. Um, if I was, you know, talking to someone else, let's say a reductionist scientist, I might actually hear like, oh, well, you know, a balanced nutrient is one that has these amino acids and these other inputs. And then when you put them together, you get this whole chemical. But, but instead, you answered it very much based on 
how are we going to use it? Like tactically, right? You're all like, okay, well, if you spray the FPJ on its own, you're spraying sugar all over your plants and you're probably going to attract bugs. But if we balance it with a vinegar, the, the, the vinegar checks the sugars is what I'm, I'm assuming that is the thought behind that. And so you have made something balanced and it's not really balanced based on what is necessarily under a microscope. It's balanced in how these two solutions play out in nature. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that I really like about KNF, even though, as you've said many times, the, um, you know, how it's taught in Korea, there's a lot of what, you know, Americans might consider mysticism. Um, really, it's, it's, um, it's, it's taught by like story almost, like how, how it is actually used in real life instead of um, what's happening at the microscopic level. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the the part I play in this too, Shango. I love, you know, um, scientific papers. I've spent, you know, a lot of time just enjoying and going down the rabbit trails of understanding with the the work and the research people have done. And uh, so much of what we are asking nowadays with the microbiological world um, hasn't been comprehensively studied. And uh, so there's these pieces and bits and you got to understand one thing to even access another. And uh, I've I've really enjoyed the journey of learning in that way and uh, getting to talk with a great a lot of great uh, scientific minds and, and people in different universities around the world. But for me, though, I I kind of think of myself as a scientist, I'm a farmer. Um, and, and this teaching of this, the communication of this and the application of this is for farmers. And so, yeah, we can get into the, you know, the, um, the amino acids in, or, or fatty acids in the cell wall tissue of the, you know, plant that you're FPJ and how that gets pulled out through osmotic pressure. And that there's these these complex nutrients that are made plant available because it's micronized through that fermentation process or being broken down into such fine particles. Um, but really for a farmer that doesn't help or it can, it can with understanding and, and that's valuable, but, um, so much of what's needed is just succeeding in and using tech that's been proven and um, being able to apply it effectively. So it's um, definitely where I focus because if there's not a billion scientific papers in natural farming in the next 10 years, I'm okay with that as long as we're starting to take over the world and and real quality of food and, and medicine production. Right on. Um, you know, historically, too, one of the reasons that, you know, lessons of all kinds, whether they be like religious parables or 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 scientific um, stories of the balance of nature between different animal populations that you get from, you know, historical farmer anecdotes and stuff. In the end, um, what we're trying to do is often package um package the learning in ways that everyone can understand because there's no doubt it's good to have the universities backing up the uh, Korean natural farming teachings with actual repeatable results, scientific um, results, but not everybody who is, who, 
who wants to be a natural farmer um, is interested in that level of detail. Sometimes they are more interested in knowing what works. And, and I think that that, you know, that storytelling approach or, or, you know, as we've already said, balancing the FPJ with some vinegar, that may be all somebody needs to know to be able to feed their family and their community. Totally. Or, or more make their bottom line work. Yeah, or make their bottom line work. So um, uh, let's uh, let's hit on some specifics for a moment for the folks who are like me. Uh, I, I you know I've been spraying FPJ on its own since I started making it, right? So I I, I know I'm wrong. I'm, I'm willing to cop to that. Um, so so if if I'm going to uh, spray my fermented plant juice, um, how much vinegar should I be matching it with so that I get that balance and I don't turn it into a massive bug attractant? Yeah, at the very minimum, if you had just just FPJ and you're wanting to start natural farming and you didn't have OHN, you couldn't buy any, and it's three months to make it, um, you can do a 1 to 500 FPJ in water and a 1 to 500 vinegar. So it's the same amount of vinegar and FPJ. They're equal in the solution, but they're also used at a very small amount, and you don't want to overdo it. A uh, very, very typical American uh, trait is if, you know, if I hear that 1 to 500 is good, then 1 to 250, you know, double that will be better. And it's just not the case. It's not how it works. I, dude, I'm that guy. I am totally that guy. I can. <laughs> so, so would you, would you, you know, go a little deeper into that? Like how can such small amounts be so effective and how can a difference between one to 500 and one to 250, that small of a change actually make a difference? Yeah, it's it's um it's how we get these nutrients. Um, it's how the it's the process to make them that's important. Um, you know the um, the word micronization um, or micronize. It's a real word. I didn't make it up. <laughs> um, and um, and microbes are incredibly effective at micronizing um, complex, um, nutrients. So, and, and, and big things, um, there's a lot of, um, you know, biochemicals that are, that are really not plant available. They're tied up in these long chains and roots don't have the ability, um, to, uh, nor does the kind of plant tissue surface have the ability to break those down or eat them. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like that plastic packaging, you know, when they send you like a flash drive and and you nearly kill yourself trying to open it. You yeah. know, it's that's that's the the level of tied up that a lot of the nutrients in, say, a stick or a blade of grass um, are, you know, so so that's not food to my plant. It can become food. If it's broken down, if it's composted, or if it sits on the surface of the soil and the microbes get to it there, um, those are great. They can be great nutrients, but as they are, um, they're they're not plant available or they're not readily eaten by roots. Roots are able to kind of take in. They have minor acids. Roots do for for kind of like creating space, if you will. 
they can they can push in between a rock or create cracks you know for so for for kind of physiological movement for physical like creating space for their roots to continue to push down um, plants have the ability to do that but as far as breaking down what they're coming in contact with it's just not not possible so what you're doing is you're taking this really great food um, you know these plants that you're seeing that are always lush and green and rich um, maybe a wild weed or something and you're um, taking it through fermentation which causes it to be micronized so all that um, beneficial biochemicals and um, you know mineral content and carbohydrate and then fats and acids that exist in the structure of that plant um, become um, broken apart that they start to break down these chains um, and um, all of a sudden this this really kind of full nutrient uh, albeit small I mean we're, we're not using a whole lot of this um, is is really available to a plant and you can if you overdo it um, even a little bit um, you can make your plants drunk or or kind of loopy um, overfed kind of like um, you know too much of a good thing you'll see it in the plant reaction I uh, I made this mistake um, I my wife's grandmother had orchids and she um sweetest lady we, we named one of our kids after him after her uh ruth ruthie and uh anyway she loved her orchids and so i brought her over some um liquid imo that uh, was freshly made well made and had all kinds of great nutrients for um, plants and I'd been using it successfully on trees and um, vegetable gardens and so I had no worry giving it to Ruthie well orchids are far lighter eaters than um, so much of what we're encountering in the um, kind of plant kingdom and um, her orchid keeled over like it was drunk as could be and um and never recovered and it was it wasn't like we fed it poison or you know gave it uh anything that would cause that you know because it was wrong for the plant we just gave it too much of a good thing um what an orchid needed was that normal dilution i use on plants to be diluted probably a thousand times and just have this really feather light meal. Um, and so that's, that's just one of the plant kingdoms kind of interaction with it. Um, but, um, you know, these, these mixes, these recipes aren't new. They've been around a long time and, uh, they've been played with a lot in with plants in the plant kingdom. Um, to come up with the right ratios for plants. Um, and so, and it, and it gets into the philosophy of what we're doing too, which we can go into more later, but... Um, go ahead and but, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, finish, finish that thought. What, what is the philosophy and how does it play in here? Yeah, so, so it's, the, it's the right amount of nutrition at the right time. This is kind of core to the, the nutritive cycle theory. 
And um, I say theory because though it's been used all over the world um, on many different crops, there's still more to do. Um, when I when I do when I give out a handout, kind of laying out what a potential feeding program would be for a crop, I lay out, I give rice because I was taught with rice because that's very Korean crop. You know, they they grow it all over, and it's, it's really incredible. You drive down the the highway in Korea, and the medians and those little triangles in between overpasses, they're full of you know solid beautiful you know, full heads of rice that somebody's cultivating. Uh, it's really um, neat. And I think we could, we could definitely learn something from that. But um, no, it's, it's this, this um, kind of concept that, um, you know, and, and again, back to story time, we, we, we teach it when we teach this and we're introducing kind of a, a new mind, if you will, to, what we're talking about because it's so foreign to how we do agriculture currently or, or kind of our traditional conventional agriculture in the U.S. Um, I use human life cycle to kind of talk about it. And so like, you know, uh, a newborn baby, you know, what what is the first, you know, if it's, you know, getting its food from mom, what's the first food it gets? That's a question, Shango. Oh, I was. I thought you were being rhetorical. Sorry. Well, mother's milk, of course. Mother's milk, but not the mother's milk you'll get for the rest of its, you know, uh, breastfeeding journey. It gets a very different first meal. Uh, a baby gets something called colostrum. It's it's a mineral rich, low nutrient. Um, kind of meal it doesn't have all the fats and proteins of mother's milk it it has very little of that and it, and it's full of mineral you know kind of um, minor nutrients that the the child will use to kind of do brain development and uh, get its all systems going in a new way and um you know when we take a seedling you know where it's barely popped its first true leaf and we're feeding it, you know, with the big guns, we're giving the wrong level of nutrient um, to that plant. We'll actually stunt the growth, and we've done side-by-side trials on this, where though you think, oh, feeding it a ton as soon as it pops is the best way to get it to rush towards development, and uh, we've proven out that it's not. You're actually stunting your um, potential growth by overfeeding a, uh, a seedling. And so I teach that all we're putting on in the beginning of a plant's life is um, maintenance solution, just that tiny bit of nutrient that comes from the FPJ, but we're giving them that, that kind of mineral and balanced nutrient of that vinegar, OHN, FPJ. So, uh, so what I'm hearing, and and please do correct me if I'm if I'm not understanding how I'm understanding this is that going back to your example of a stick, you're like, okay, the nutrition in this stick, there is nutrition in this stick, but it's all um, it's all wrapped up, it's all um, you know, hard into this stick. 
um, just like uh, trying to open packaging from Best Buy or something like that. Where, sure. Whereas what the KNF prep is, is the removing of all of that packaging, which gets us down to the essential life force nutrition of whatever it is that we are um, fermenting or breaking down which kind of makes it like a super potent the the i you know i don't want to say the soul of the plant but but it's most essential nutritive part of the plant and so you're suggesting that the reason why 1 to 500 or 1 to 1000 is appropriate is because it's so out of um it's so out of my U.S. farming experience where we're used to adding volumes of stuff and this the Korean technique is actually re- reductive in the other direction where they're removing everything that may not be necessary and then through the fermentation incubating the most essential nutrition to increase it. And so we've got only the part we need and it's incubated to be super strong. And so – it's it's so reactive that we actually have to be really careful with it because it can be very impactful on the plant. Does, am I getting yeah. it? All right. Yeah. I, let me let me re say that to you though. Um, so so in conventional agriculture, if I buy for my orchard, say a thirty 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 um, nutrient NPK nutrient, um, you know, just a chemical fertilizer, I apply that expecting and this is very common and hoping that I'm going to get about a 20% um, uptake in my crop this year. Meaning I will benefit from that application at about 20% of the poundage I apply. So if I apply a pound, I'm getting one twentieth or one fifth of that um, in um, kind of in my crop or in production this year. Um, that's, that's normal. And, and that might not be common knowledge, but that's, that's normal in conventional agriculture. We're, we're looking for hopefully getting about a 20% uptake. That's because the rest of it goes into the soil, um, becomes locked up. Um, that's how we get hard pans is they go down, it goes down about 12 inches, 18 inches and, and just sits there waiting to be made plant available by um, microbes because even 30 30 30 isn't really plant available unless it gets broken down to some degree you know chemical fertilizer still needs the microbiological world to make it available the less alive your soil is the less of that you know total poundage applied is going to become plant available this year and uh yeah in the converse or you know, alternately in, in natural farming, we have, um, fully available, so available that we can apply foliarly and it's taken in through the leaf, um, tissue where the plant can actually absorb it through its, um, leaves in, in a really effective way. And so it's kind of like, um, it's, it's kind of like mainlining nutrients. I'm sorry for the you know, crass reference, but it's, it's like, it's like I putting IV where it's going right into the system rather than, 
you know, needing to be digested before you get access to those nutrients. Right on. I, yeah, I get it. There's no buffering through the rhizosphere and the roots and coming up and all that kind of just buffering and changing. You're going right to the underside of the leaves where it just like sucks it right in and boom, then now it's in the, now, now yeah. it's interior. Yeah. You'll see, you'll see results in, in 24 hours, 24 hours. You'll see those plants react to that. Um, nutrient or in less time sometimes. Hmm. All right. So um, let's talk about the size of, of the, the nutrients at this one, 1,000, one to 500 or so. Um, in your, in your earlier example, you were saying, you know, how the roots interact with it. And I've, I've only known you to teach foliar. So is, would we ever use these, um, these preps as a, as a soil drench as well? I mean, I, I know some oh, people. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Okay. Well, um, I, I've, I've only ever really used it as a foliar, except for occasionally I'll have a little bit, you know, left in the, in the bottle and I'll pour it on a couple plants, which is probably, but not a good idea now that I've heard what you just said. But, um, um, so if, if, if these are the ratios for, uh, foliar, are they the same ratios for a drench? And when you do a root drench, you know, generally, I mean, by the word drench, you're going to use a lot more, um, you know, material water when you pour it on the roots. Uh, whereas mm -hmm. when you foliar, it's act, you know, it's generally pretty light because even, even though some products specifically call for you to make, get the plant so wet that it drips most of the time, that's not what we're looking for. And so, so what is the, is there any difference in the ratios for a drench approach than there is from a foliar approach? Yeah, that's a great question, Shingo. And, um, you know, just starting, I guess, and from the beginning, starting in the back with cannabis community and, and with that, your crop that, um, you know, we don't recommend foliar in flower. Um, maybe in the first couple weeks you can do it. Um, but then we're, everything goes to root drench throughout the, the flower cycle. Um, because, um, you don't want to, um, bring in additional microbial life and you don't want to affect flavor, um, in, in any way, um, negatively. And so, um, yeah, everything's soil drench after that. Um, and in soil drench, you don't really change the recipe at all. Um, but you can use more, um, also, speaking of foliar, um, when I talk about foliar application, you are wanting them to get to the point where they're just barely dripping. Um, but you're also, um, I call it treating the whole acre, um, where I, I'm spraying the, the stem, the leaves to the top of the plant, all the way down to the whole surface of the soil around mm. the drip line of the plant. So the whole area is getting... Um, fed, not just, you know, uh, a few, you know, fan leaves or water leaves uh, on their underside. You want to get kind of the tip of the plant all the way to the, the kind of root zone, the feeder root zone around the drip line. So, um, it's interesting that you would, I mean, cause I, I know that we're, we should not be spraying foliar on the evolving flowers, right? I get that. We don't want to, uh, 
add any taste to the flowers, and we also don't want to spike unexpected microbe activity either. So, so I got that. But for me, I usually just tapered off my my KNF after week two, and just generally went without it in flower. And Interesting. yeah, well, clearly I'm doing it wrong. But but you know, this is this is what happens when you know, I learned things a little bit here and a little bit there, right? Versus taking a course that is integrative and putting it all together. Uh, but luckily, you know, I get a chance to talk with you today. Uh, so, so how, what volume, um, am I going to be at? So after week two, when I have switched these same preps to a, uh, a drench, how much, uh, of the water, with the the preparations in it should I be using? For example, you know, when I make my compost tea, I get myself a big old bucket and I get a, uh, you know, I've got this, uh, this, this, this mug that's about the size of like, you know, one of those red party cups and I go down the line and I put a, I put a cup in each one, you know? And so, uh-huh. you know, I, at least I, if it feels like, okay, I'm not adding too much. I'm not adding too little. And, and I'll do this, you know, occasionally, maybe, maybe twice a week with compost tea, but with something as powerful as these KNF preps, um, you know, I don't, I don't know whether a cup would still be appropriate or if it should be way, a way lesser amount. And then I just water it in with raw water. So yeah, good, good question. And, uh, this is this is kind of a hard hard one um, for people to follow, you know. And I just encourage try it once on, you know, this actual protocol that I'm going to go over. Try it once on a couple plants. Do a side by side because I'm going to tell you this really small amount, and then the. You know, the typical American mindset is, well, if he said that amount and I double it, <laughs> I should get double results. <laughs> we, we are just doing better. So yeah. I'm just going to I'll lay it out and uh, and just encourage a trial um, because it's it sounds crazy. And I, I have so much empathy for how some of this sounds on first hearing because I grew up, you know, son of a conventional farmer. I grew up, uh, you know, conventional organic, where you still are aiming at all those NPK numbers and trying to get your soil and tissue tests to, you know, be corrected by all the inputs you're putting on. And, uh, you know, this just isn't the case in in natural farming. It's not what we're chasing. Um, And so I do want a caveat before I go into this, though, that natural farming um, and, and I've, I've felt the need to repeat this. So if, if, uh, this has been said before, or somebody's heard this, I'm sorry, but I feel like it's the, it's the necessary thing to kind of correct maybe, uh, the, the skewed, the skewed science that happens on the internet. Um, 80% of natural farming is the IMO, um, process. So IMO for applied a week before planting and mulched and watered in is 80% of what you need from the natural farming protocols. And if you're not doing that, then you can still play with the 20%, but just know that that is the case. Um, Because what's happening is so much of the soil nutrition is getting cycled into the plant's 
kind of feeding program because the microbes are breaking down sand, silt, and clay and making that plant available. All that silica, everybody's chasing silica in, in cannabis. And um, if you have sand in your soil and fungi to eat it, like you don't see silica issues or, or need um, silica because there's plenty of it. It's just not plant available unless you have the fungi that can eat sand. I throw away all my microscope slides. I never clean them because I deal so much with fungi that even if I wash them with alcohol, uh, I come back to use them a week later and they're all etched because the fungi has eaten the glass so it's cloudy. Um, so, yeah, there's IMO is amazing. Just a little plug there. I know we're talking about nutrients. Um, so the the protocol for natural farming is that um you know so the right amount of nutrients we're talking about that and then at the right time um and so one of the things kind of people um get wrong is they just put it on all the time every day or every two days and really we're putting on um once uh, really twice a week or every other week sorry Every other week, we're applying nutrients, and sometimes every week. But um, that's really, you know, that's really strange to people that are used to feeding all the time. But if you have IMOs in process in your system, um, then the the nutrient is like this little bit of an encouragement and uh, and uh, kind of production booster. Um, in your kind of whole system you got going there. So, for example, um, if I was in flour and I wanted to feed every week, I would apply maintenance solution every other week and a targeted feeding solution the alternating weeks. So maintenance solution is that really simple recipe, FPJ 1 to 500, brown rice vinegar or just rice vinegar 1 to 500 and OHN 1 to 1000 really simple nutrient and that would go on once a week or once uh every other week and then I would watch my plants um and if I'm thinking they need some nitrogen and uh but maybe some background calcium and some background potassium then I would do my maintenance solution FPJ OHN vinegar and I would add in some fish amino acid. Maybe the main need is, man, these, these girls need to be fed. Then I would put a one to a thousand, which is the full strength of FAA. But then I'm like, eh, and I think they could use some balancing still, or I need to help them a little bit put on structure. Then I would bring in a one to 2000 half strength WCA, which is a calcium. Um, and then um specifically cannabis and flour really benefits from a prep called WSK water soluble potassium and uh, so I'd bring that in at 1 to 2000 and that would be my soil drench and I wouldn't I would be liberal um so I might do a whole watering with the the liquid um or half a watering and then a flush if I was fertigating um and um and because of the amounts, everything's in balance and, and it'll work out. Um, but I'm also not doing that every day. I'm not creating this glut of nutrients in my soil. 
um, I'm putting a little bit on, it'll, it'll kind of ramp up or activate the soil microbial life as well as give a ton of great nutrition to the plant that's highly available um, for them to take up through all their feeder roots. So that's kind of an example of how you might go about um, following a natural farming protocol. Now, does that mean you can't also increase that interval or, or decrease that interval to, you know, every, you know, every four days you can, but I would just um, be aware that you might get the same results by doing it once a week. And um, because of how these nutrients work and how easily, you know, they are to, to, for a plant to kind of digest or, or take into their systems. And um, yeah, so, so that additional applications might just be spending you, you know, you spending time and money you don't need to spend. Right on. Um, the idea of, of, of taking the, um, um, the maintenance uh, formula and have it at dilutions and then just do a full watering with that water. Um, you know, one part of me is like, ah, I might be adding too much, but the other part of me is going, well, you know, they're at such low amounts. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like just taking water with like a little bit of a supplement in it. It's, 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 you, it's, you want yeah, a lot of like water. Electrolyte. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and so and and you want a lot of water so that it can reach all the parts of the pot and it doesn't just sit on top. But at the same time, the the amount of it in the water is such that um, that you don't really have to worry about what what most of us think about as burning our roots. Which um, right. I actually like your yeah. idea of of getting the plants drunk a lot better. <laughs> so. Um, so uh, we've had quite a long first set here. Let's go ahead and uh, take our first break and then come back and we'll be uh, talking about OHN next. You are listening to Shaping Fire and my guest today is natural farming educator Chris Trump. With the national hemp program in flux due to stringent THC testing requirements, brothers Seth and Eric Crawford continue to release seeds to hemp farmers that will be legal, no matter how you grow them or when you test them. These new varieties from Oregon CBD seeds have substantial amounts of CBDV, CBGV, CBCV, and THCV while always staying below the 0.3% THC limit and guaranteeing compliant crops for farmers every time. Also, these new varieties cannot be pollinated by your neighbor's uncontrolled pollen or a rogue male in your own crop either. Oregon CBD seeds are non-GMO certified too. Oregon CBD Seeds was founded and funded in 2015 by Seth and Eric, maxing out their personal credit cards without outside investment. They continue to refuse outside investment that would change their company culture. Oregon CBD grows tons of fresh food on their research farms for local food banks, literally tons of food. They also give away tens of thousands of pounds of R&D flour to patients. As their company began to succeed, Seth and Eric started donating money to the cannabis medicine and hemp fiber cause too by giving millions of dollars to Oregon State University in order to establish the world's leading cannabis genomics research program. And they treat their employees right. Oregon CBD pays for full health and dental coverage for their employees, a 401k program, and their minimum starting wage is 20 bucks an hour. Plus, everyone shares food from the farms. Seth has been on Shaping Fire a few times to talk about novel cannabinoids. You can check out episodes 25 and 37 on CBD cultivars in the hemp market. 
episode 66 on triploid cannabis genetics, and the very first Shaping Fire Live, episode 47, with Seth and soil expert Jeff Lowenfels talking about autoflowers. If you are a hemp farmer and you want to grow reliable seeds that are sure to thrive and pass testing, check out OregonCBDSeeds.com to learn more about buying seeds for the 2021 season. That's OregonCBDSeeds.com. One of the reasons why no-till cannabis growing is so valued by farmers is because the mycelium networks in the soil remain established from year to year. And we know these fungal networks are essential because they are the nutrient superhighways that extend far and wide in the substrate to feed your plants. The trouble with growing in new soils or blended cocoa substrates is that it takes most of the plant's life just to create these mycelium highways. Dynamico endomycorrhizal fungi inoculant reduces that time and gets your plant eating a wider array of nutrients faster. And it's three times the concentration of the current leading brand in the U.S. at 900 propagules per gram of two fungal species selected specifically for cannabis cultivation. This new product called Dynamico is the result of 30 years of research and trials at the Volcani Agriculture Research Institute in Israel. It has also been vigorously trialed by cannabis and food growers across the U.S. since the product first arrived here last year. You may have already even heard about Dynamico by its original name, Dynamike. Now, Dynamico is available at grow shops and online in the United States for the first time. I love using Dynamico to both speed up the growth of mycelium networks in the soil, but also as a biostimulant to make clone cuttings more virile. You can see side-by-sides showing the comparative growth on their Instagram at Dynamico. If you demand reliable growing results and appreciate the importance of an active root zone in creating a thriving plant, I encourage you to check out Dynamico at Dynamico.com and find out where you can get yours. That's D-Y-N-O-M-Y-C-O.com. Whether you are starting with new beds or pots, or if you want to add some zing to tired soil, choose Dynamico to maximize your plant's potential. Dynamico endomycorrhizal inoculant. While I love growing under the sun, there's a lot of good reasons to grow indoors. And if you're like most folks, you want a lighting source that grows high-yielding, healthy plants without using excessive amounts of electricity. BIOS Lighting creates biological lighting solutions that brings the natural brilliance of the outdoors into your grow room. BIOS Lighting has the attributes that I look for in a horticultural lighting solution. I've bought those cheap lights online, and they're difficult to work with and fail in no time. In contrast, my BIOS LED light is industrial grade to last a long time. It is IP66 wet rated, so little foliar overspray won't harm it. It is easy to clean without taking it down, and of course, the most important aspect, it is built for the exact light spectrum I want for great yielding, healthy cannabis plants. And it doesn't hurt that their lighting rigs look badass too. Many horticultural LED lighting systems are based on irrelevant performance metrics, and people love to argue online about these numbers. I prefer to judge on par photon efficiency and how happy my plants are, and the BIOS lights exceed my expectations in these categories. BIOS lights have an optimized broad spectrum that maximizes photosynthesis and plant growth, while also providing the ideal conditions for superior par efficacy and a comfortable visual experience. I also love their attentive and overeducated customer service folks. BIOS starts with a team of biologists before getting the electrical engineers involved. They have studied how light impacts cannabis plants and devised an overall strategy that works. 
I encourage you to check out their website at bioslighting.com to learn more about how this strategy can work for you. And Shaping Fire listeners can get a special deal. Use the discount code SHAPINGFIRE, all one word, no caps, for 10% off your entire purchase. That's bioslighting.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shangolos, and our guest this week is natural farming educator, Chris Trump. So most of this set, we're going to be talking about OHN, um, Oriental Herbal Nutrient. But before we do that, there's one thing more I want to hit on the foliar with you, Chris. Um, you know, one of the reasons that I'm always tempted to add extra KNF prep to the water is because when I look at how small of a mount that I'm adding to my five liter sprayer, I'm thinking to myself, how is this going to be, how is this going to become ubiquitous in the sprayer? So some amount, let alone equal amounts, but how will some amount get on all of the plants? And so I'm thinking to myself, well, if I add some more, there's more likelihood that every plant will get some. Um, how is that taught in, in Korean natural farming? Like what, 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 from that perspective ensures that all of the plants are going to get some of the nutrition out of the foliar sprayer. Yeah. So, um, fun, fun, uh, phenomenon, natural law osmosis. So if you throw it in there and let it sit for 30 minutes and give it a swirl, um, it'll have a much easier time being very evenly distributed in solution than if you throw it in there, shake it once and start spraying. Um, so if you're really concerned, then give it, give it a little bit. And, uh, what happens is those vacuums of water that are looking for chemical bonds will yank on all that stuff and evenly distribute it. And the places that are higher concentration will, um, the, the additions you added will move to places of lower concentration naturally but then giving it a shake it it works even better right on so, sure, yeah so maybe sure. a shake plus a little bit of sitting time would probably be the, yeah. my solution and you can you can use you know a 10 liter sprayer don't add more you know um in ratio don't don't double the amount you put in there but if you want to spray more to make sure it gets everywhere um that's totally fine yeah, it's it's very strange, you know, because I'm I'm sure that a lot of people are like me, where when we when we get to KNF, I'm thinking about ratios for like compost tea, right? And so going from a you know a ratio of of you know one to two, one to three, one to four, depending on you know what kind of compost tea, all the way to one to a thousand, it's all like, wait, you know, is this a typo? <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, cool. Thanks for hitting that. Um, I haven't thought about osmosis like that um, in a long time. So so let's talk about OHN. So, you know, we were talking during the first set about how, um, you know, all of these different KNF preparations um, are are never used alone. And and that kind of goes double so for OHN because OHN is a is a blend of five herbs, but then even OHN you don't use on on, on you know by itself. So um you know would you explain the underlying principle at play justifying using OHN as a foliar? And so what I'm looking for is both um an explanation of what OHN is and 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 why those five work together so magically, you know, when used as a foliar. 
Yeah. Um, so, OHN is um, a combination of herbs that, you know, no matter who you're talking to in the scientific world, um, the herbs that we use are understood to be kind of antipathogenic. So they're, they're immune boosting or, um, disease suppressing, um, herbs, no matter how you look at them. It's just the components they have, uh, have that effect. So OHN really in natural farming is a health tonic and, um, specifically, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of health things, plant health, animal health, we're doing in natural farming. But OHN is specifically targeted to plant and animal immune system and, and, and immune support. Um, so it's kind of a, a prebiotic, if you will, a, um, a nutrient to support the overall kind of health and immune system of plants. Um, the technology comes from, you know, 500-year-old uh, Chinese traditional medicine uh, recipes where, um, you know, good science was done before we had our our big universities. Um, and it was done by people with using observation and experimentation over thousands of years. Um, the science is the study of nature through observation and experimentation. That's the definition of science. And so... Um, we get this, this pass down of something that works and has worked for a really long time. And we're beginning to understand some of these complex biochemicals and, and their, their subtle, you know, um, interactions with the human body or the plant, plant and animal kingdoms, but we're, we're kind of limited. So kind of the best I can do to deep dive into what, the herbs are in natural farming, if we really want to get into it, why would be to, to step over into a Chinese traditional Chinese medicine explanation. Um, did, would that be helpful, Shango? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. And and um, uh, you might be getting ready for this, but I encourage you to just go ahead and name the five too, because I'm sure there's lots of folks listening who who don't know the all five of them. And so, why don't we start there sure. and then and then go into the the Chinese medicine, which which I also appreciate. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I do have a video on on YouTube on how to make this and. Uh, I will admit I've watched my own video when I've forgotten a step or, or just gotten my, you know, wires crossed on what I'm doing next. Uh, so no shame in watching a video while you make it. But, um, yeah, so it's we, we in Chinese in, in making OHN, we are fermenting five herbs. That fermentation, like we talked about earlier, and um, micronizes or or kind of breaks down um, some of the the cell walls of these herbs. And um, so, so the five herbs are cinnamon, ginger, garlic, licorice root, and angelica root. Um, and we use two parts of the angelica. And the cinnamon specifically is cassia cinnamon, not those real thin. Um, cinnamon sticks that have that those kind of spiral of real thin flesh, but we want the cinnamon bark. It's it's a much thicker thing, and then angelica 
um, generally we're using Sinensis or Gigas. Um, you can you can use there's some other varieties that work too, but those are the ones I recommend most. And then licorice we're using the root. Um, but yeah, they're they're pre-fermented and then tinctured, and the tincture is a high alcohol, thirty uh, percent alcohol um, minimum uh, to to pull it into solution. And this is a little different from the typical preps in natural farming where we're um, fermenting and just really want what comes out in fermentation. Here we're kind of yanking on the essence or the these these kind of prebiotic or or immune supporting um, components of this plant. So we're we're yanking kind of all of it out in the tincturing process. It's it's really fun. I, I enjoy making OHM. But um, traditional Chinese medicine is kind of where we get some of the explanation. And and I'm going to um, thank my friend Jace. I am not a traditional Chinese medicine medicine practitioner. Um, but I've talked to a few people that are over the years, uh, my friend Yuki in Hawaii and, uh, my friend Jace's wife is actually a, um, uh, a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine and a pretty good one. Um, and he's, he's, uh, touched by cannabis, I think is Jace's handle, but, um, her explanation for me, I was asking her about it actually just this last month, um, uh, and I'll go ahead and read it. Cinnamon is a warming herb in Chinese medicine meant to warm the channels and increase kidney key. Uh, key. Ginger, fresh, is warming. Dried ginger is hot in nature and used to tonify digestion. Garlic is warming and used for parasites, cough, and colds. Licorice is a neutral or herb used in most formulas to tonify other herbs. Angelica is warming and used for women's issues, cold, uh, flush, and damp condition, um, to flush damp conditions. Um, and they are all anthelmintic. I hope I said that right. <laughs> but, um, but basically, um, to, if, if that was too much or, or overly technical, um, these are... Um, things that support immune system. I mean, we all uh, drink some, you know, lemon tea with honey uh, when we got a cold and we get that, um, that kind of soothing effect. And it's because that vitamin C and, and the things in honey actually are good for our bodies. Well, there's a lot of stuff like that. And these ones are specifically for a continual um, kind of um, aid to overall health. Uh, continual aid to fight off disease, but not in the way in that these directly attack disease or are their own sword and shield against disease. These are preventing disease in that they are making healthier the plant or animal and so that they aren't susceptible. I'm very, I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to date a gal who, um, uh, was an acupuncturist and hearing you describe it from the Chinese medicine direction, um, you know, she, she would say, Oh, these are all, uh, herbs that create movement 
are warming and increase the immune system because those those flavors all tend to work really well together. And so I like how you said that, you know, these are not aggressive herbs that go and attack, you know, pests or or disease. They are actually fortifying and help you build up, you know, your personal chi, your strength, your your core essence or whatever. And right. uh, I never really thought about those working in plants as well. Um and and even though to a lot of people who are new to, like you were saying, the, the storytelling nature of, of oriental medicine, um, just because it's they talk about it in a different way doesn't make it any less true. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's where we we get into a little trouble. We we say, oh, you know, white lab coat and peer review studies is the only source of true information or explanation of natural law and um that's just not the case we we understand so little in that forum you know especially when we're talking about uh soil life and uh complex or diversity in microbiological communities we're just scratching the surface in that in that forum so we do need to um keep paying attention to the um well, well, I guess I, I, I like to say we need to keep humble in just how complex nature is and uh, that we are, as a scientific community, moving towards understanding it, but we are by no means um, cresting the hill of understanding how this all works in conjunction. And, you know, even though there is a lot more to the human experience than lab coats and studies, there's no doubt that, um, you know, oriental medicine has been proven out in universities and medical research as well. Um, it's, it's just that came after the storytelling did. Um, when right. people have been trying this stuff for thousands of years. So, okay. So let's, let's circle back to the original question, which was, you know, we're talking about the blending of these different KNF preparations and we know why we blend the OHN inputs so that they've got this, this, you know, warming movement and immune building, uh, uh, impact on the plant. Um, but you said even OHN is not used alone, which is funny because it's already got five things in it. So, so what do we want to blend our OHN with when we apply it either as a foliar or as a root drench? Yeah. Well, you know, broken record, Chris over here, it's, it's the <laughs> same, it's the same two things, you know, that, that base, it, it's kind of like, you know, we're making a pizza and, um, you know, for my, you know, my six-year-old, he wants anchovies and, and my, you know, nine-year-old, she wants tomatoes or, or olives, you know, um, I gotta have the crust, the cheese and the sauce, and then they can, you know, they can, you know, coat with the things that best feed them, um, you know, from my uh, condiment, you know, tray. They can put whatever they want on there, but we're not making pizza without the sauce, the crust, and the cheese. And so the sauce and the crust and the cheese of natural farming is FPJ, OHN, and vinegar. And so those, those stay together. They stick together like sauce, crust, and cheese on pizza. They, <laughs> they, are, they are always in combination. So OHN is never used in natural farming aside from 
those those other two. So maintenance solution is your base, and then you can add per the plant's nutrient needs. So if they need to eat, they're hungry, they're they're a growing teenager, they're in vegetative growth, and they just need to be given as much food as they can, then you're using fish amino acid, and uh, you're putting that in with that base. So the anchovies, you know, if you will. Yeah. But um, yeah, but there are a few times where we're doing something with OHN. When we make FAA, we put a, a tiny bit of OHN in with IMO, and that gets no FPJ or vinegar. So there are these few, but as far as like really feeding the plants or even feeding animals, because you can use OHN in like baby chick water or full-grown chicken water or cattle or pig water. Um, yeah, it's used in combination with those other two. So vinegar and FPJ. While we're here real quick, um, what's yeah. the ratio of OHN into livestock water? Oh, do I have that all off the top of my head? Um, I think that OHN is one to 700. Uh, depends also. It's like, is it a baby chick? Is it a full grown chick? Is it a pig or, or a cow? Oh, so there's some, there, there's there are a lot of variables. All right. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a little bit more than plants. Um, it, I think it's one to 700 OHN and then in, in similar ratio, you increase the FPJ and vinegar also, um, you know, I probably have it, but yeah, anyways. And then, and then, um, you, um, you, you know, for bees even you can give OHN and LAB and FPJ and vinegar, but Generally speaking, we're giving it, other than baby chicks, we're giving it as an optional drink aside uh, next to water so that they have the option to drink this nutrient-rich solution, um, you know, next to the water that's um, always available so that they're, you know, as it's kind of like a mineral lick almost for cattle, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, they'll, for sure. They'll, you know, they'll put out a salt or complex mineral um, block and cows will go drink some water and they'll lick this salt cube for a minute and then they'll go off and go about their day. And so that's kind of how um, the natural farming inputs are used in livestock. Right on. Well, I don't want to guess to get too far, uh, uh, far afield. I was, but... was going to say, we could, we could go a little ways in that. Yeah, but but uh, I may, we should pick up on that another time. Um, so, right. so circling back to um, OHN. Uh, so, so now that we know, uh, what's in it and, and what we're, you know, what we want to blend it with to spray, I'm curious when, when, uh, you know, after we've made the individual inputs for OHN, do you normally store your inputs separately and mix it up fresh every time you're about to use it? Or do you go ahead and, and mix it into the OHN and, you know, just put it away pre-made? Yeah, so OHN is always stored separately. Um, you can make as much as you need for like a year or six months, um, which is generally what I do. I'll make a six-month amount for what I need. But um, typically, I'm, yeah, it's for, for storage, for long-term storage. And that's one of the cool things about OHN is it gets better with age. Um, it continues to 
micronize um, in storage. And so it, it kind of gets more and more in solution, if you will, or, or uh, small particles while it sits there. Um, and uh, that increases its effectiveness, actually. So OHN that in sitting for three years, we consider twice as effective as fresh OHN. Um, wow. because of how well it's taken in or, or absorbed by the plant or animal. And so actually, if you have three-year-old OHN, we um, reduce the application rate by 50%. Instead of one to 1,000, it becomes one to 2,000. So I'm always encouraging people that are really, they're, they're getting serious about natural farming and they're going to go on their natural farming journey. I say, make a five-year batch of OHN. Because just by making it um, enough to last you five years, you've uh, nearly halved the cost of it for your farm. Because you're buying your inputs uh, at scale, right? No, because you're by year three. Oh, because it gets stronger and more potent. By year three, you're using half the amount. So by not making only a, enough for a year, you effectively are making your same materials go farther. So please resolve these two things you said. You said um, we, we store the stuff separate and then we only want to mix enough for six months to a year. But now you're saying three and five-year OHN totally kicks ass. So how, will you resolve those? Yeah. So OHN is the combination of the herb of the, the six parts or five parts. It's just double Angelica. OHN is combining them all, but they still age really well and age better separately. And so my, my six, my six containers or my five containers and a double large container, um, are all sitting there separately aging. Oh, I get it. And I can, I can, I can make three-year-old OHN if they've been sitting there separately aging and I mix all those parts to make OHN. My OHN is three years old, but I'm just mixing it fresh for use. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You get, you've got um, you know, multiple bottles that are three years old and then you blend them. So it isn't yes. that when, when you say that they, um, you know, they, they evolve, um, you don't mean that they evolve – in in combination to each other each one is evolving in its own jar yeah they continue to yeah kind of break down or or become um, more available in their own jars and then we still mix it but those 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 five containers sitting on the shelf or six containers sitting on the shelf are aging appropriately got it um uh, are, are you, are you, do you, are, is that your water that keeps on jingling or do you have a bell on you, brother? I'm sorry. That's my water. It's the ice in my water. I'm All right. probably shaking it subconsciously. It's, it, it, everybody who's got headphones on or it's, it's probably really getting to them. So, um, so, sorry so, about that. so the, um, so you said when we spray the OHN, um, we want to spray it with, um, brown rice vinegar. Um, and you said, you know, there are some other types of vinegars that might work as well. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Because, you know, I, I, the, the vinegar that I've got is a, um, is a, is a, is a, is a bamboo vinegar. Um, and, 
you know, I, I like it and, it and it does what I want it to do, but why do, does Korean natural farming default towards uh, rice vinegar? And, and is that because rice vinegar is particularly attractive for some reason? Or is it because we're trying to avoid cheap, crappy vinegar made out of bad ingredients? What a great question, Shango. Um, so the, um, so the pH balancing effect for like liquid IMO or these different preps is, um, kind of universal for vinegars. And so we're, we're getting that, that balancing. If you have some apple cider vinegar or your bamboo vinegar, it works and you can use that and you should feel like you're doing the right thing. Um, you're not cutting a corner. It is, it is great. Um, however, grain vinegar, um, has a different mix of nutrients in it. We don't typically think of vinegar as a nutrient source. Um, we think of it just as some acidic liquid, you know, but the reality is it has specific biochemicals and nutrients based on what it was made out of. So, um, your body is being, um, you're being fed by your consumption of your, you know, um, uh, whatever, uh, your, what is that really wonderful vinegar from Modea in Italy? Um, um, the balsamic, the, the balsamic, yeah. balsamic. Yeah. So balsamic or red wine vinegar, you're getting the nutrients from grapes, you know, or from whatever they're making it out of bamboo. Um, with grain, there's, um, all this, um, you know, uh, plant proteins, especially with rice and fats that are getting broken down in the process of making that vinegar. And those nutrients stay present in that vinegar. Um, additionally, specifically with rice vinegar and grain vinegars is they have, even though they're an acid, they are, are said to have an alkalizing or a, a balancing effect, um, in their nutritional profile um, when used or when consumed. And so that, that kind of nuanced, um, effect is what we're going for in the rice vinegar and, and why we recommend that. Right on. That um, makes, but it, yeah. it, it doesn't have to say brown on the right, excuse me, on the rice vinegar. It can just say rice vinegar. Right on. Um, right on. So, um, so one, one more oh, detail on yeah, that. Yeah, go ahead. So in Korea, they're really, really into their brown rice vinegar creation process. And so legit Korean brown rice vinegar, um, if you're, if you're getting, uh, you know, you're probably going to pay a little bit more for it, um, if you find it, but that, um, is kind of made at this like artisan standard in the process and how they go about it. It's definitely, all of these are not the same, you know, the, the way they make that and what you're getting, um, as a result is, is pretty different from your typical vinegar creation. What you, the only one you want to stay away from, um, Shango is, uh, like a white vinegar mm -hmm. where you, where you don't know the fruit that went into it because there is a vinegar process that's derived from petroleum, uh, where they make a, like an ethanol alcohol and turn it into vinegar and it's a shortcut vinegar and uh, the nutrients aren't good. And uh, that's actually 
um, how Monsanto started. Um, they were a vinegar company, and they came up with a shortcut in the vinegar making process that is called the Monsanto process. Hmm. It, it reminds me; it's kind of like whole plant vinegar. You know, <laughs> you you yeah. want you want something authentic and true to the plant. Yeah, right on. Well, cool. So let's go ahead and take our second break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about germinating seeds. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is natural farming educator Chris Trump. For years, organic cultivators have been looking for a replacement for using peat moss. Peat moss has long been the go-to soil amendment for water retention and container growing, but organic growers know that peat moss is an unsustainable resource, and the mining of peat bogs destroys habitat and releases sequestered carbon. But peat moss works so well that many have continued to use it. But now there's finally a revolutionary replacement for peat moss that shares the same benefits while also being sustainable. Pit moss sounds and acts like peat moss, but instead of being mined from fragile ecosystems, it actually is made from upcycled organic paper and tree bark. Pit moss is excellent at retaining water in your substrate and creating air pockets and tiny living environments for microbes. Pit moss instantly increases aeration, nutrient absorption, and water conservation too. Carefully and locally sourced, pit moss is the result of decades-long research into the use of recycled paper fibers. Pit moss has the fluffy nature of peat moss and handles exactly the same. And like peat moss, pit moss is inert, so it won't change your pH. Available in a range of preparations, including a nutrient-enhanced blend, a coco-coir blend, and also as an organic soil conditioner with no added nutrients. Pit moss is also available as an animal bedding. So go to pitmoss.com now to learn more. That's P-I-T-T. M-O-S-S dot com. Growing healthier, more sustainable plants. Pit moss. For many, transitioning to organic gardening can be overwhelming. There's so much to learn about soil biology and fermentation. Bioflux Fermented Plant Boost from Everflux simplifies organic farming so you can start growing organically today. Invented by a California farmer growing organic for 40 years, Bioflux is a fermented natural farming preparation for those who want a natural microbe booster without having to brew their own. This extraordinary chemical-free growth and terpene enhancer improves root development, accelerates the conversion of organic matter into humus, increases nutrient use efficiency and uptake, and increases beneficial microbe activity. In addition to the Bioflux fermented plant booster, Everflux also makes an activated biochar called Terraflux that is infused with the Bioflux plant booster. Imagine combining the buffering and rhizosphere enhancing qualities of biochar infused with a range of earthworm castings, insect frass, kelp and crab meal, oyster shell, and other ingredients. I'm using Terraflux infused biochar this summer myself, and it smells alive, rich, and potent. These products have been scientifically proven to match yields and increase flower quality and pest resistance when compared to traditional NPK inputs. If you are looking for reliable organic fertilizers that will free you up to focus on other aspects of your garden, consider using the range of all-natural regenerative fertilizers and natural biostimulants from Everflux. Find out more at everfluxtechnologies.com or by following their Instagram at Everflux. If you listen to Shaping Fire and you grow your own cannabis, chances are high that you are very particular about the inputs you use for growing. 
People like us painstakingly self-educate on cannabis nutrients and techniques so we can cultivate the best tasting and cleanest flowers possible. And when we go to purchase those nutrients, we want to be sure that our supplier shares our values and is providing exceptional quality. This is why I recommend buildasoil.com to my friends who care about quality. Build a Soil empowers organic growers to do their best work by sourcing and shipping only the finest cannabis growing supplies. From organic inputs, soils, soil testing and pots, to lights, growing tents, sprayers, and cover crops, Build a Soil founder Jeremy Silva doesn't just stock his store with what's available. He goes deep to personally vet each product for quality and determine that there isn't a better version of the product that he could be selling. Because of this arduous process, you know that your options on buildasoil.com have been carefully curated to create the results you are looking for. Not only that, but the Build a Soil way is a philosophy that will permeate your interaction with the company. From website design to pricing and shipping to after-purchase support, Jeremy and his team always strive to do their best and give you the best customer service in the business. Check out buildasoil.com today for top-tier quality cultivation supplies and a friends and family buying experience. And check out their educational videos and extraordinary social media while you're there too. Quality organic growing supplies at buildasoil.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I am your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is natural farming educator, Chris Trump. So Chris, you alluded to it earlier on for, in first set, but one of the things that I'm most interested in, in now is um, the particular KNF preparation that is used to germinate seeds. Um, you know, we, we we all have got so much value in our seeds. We want to get as as good as germination ratio as we can. And for many of us, we're using seeds that are, you know, several years to potentially decades old. And I'm sure that they can use all the support they need. Um, earlier in the show, you were talking about um, the the nutritive cycle and how that relates to humans where, um, you know, like really fresh babies get the colostrum and then they switch to mother's milk. And then, you know, they're starting out with very simple mashed foods. And then, you know, through life, the food that we have changes. Um, I know this is true for germinating seeds too. Will you lay it out for us, please? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, it's, it's a, a wonderful thing. And especially if you have so much value in your seeds and, um, and maybe their kind of ability to germinate if they're 10 years old is, is reduced. Um, yeah, the, the natural farming prep for, for, popping seeds is is huge and um it's um in side by sides the effect of giving them this minor nutrient in um while they're in seed form um persists so you will have a more vibrant plant with no other changes just by giving them this seed nutrient um to get them to pop and um and that's we've done that out in side by side trials. Wendy Kornberg did a cool side by side trial with that, and she did it on multiple plants where um, she's um, she popped them with and without seed soak solution, and um, she had lifelong or the whole life of the plant 
effect from um, just that one step. Well, everything else was kept the same, and she photographed it and and uh, and and tracked the the growth throughout their uh, their whole journey. It was pretty cool. Um, but others have done that, and um, yeah. So the the prep, uh, which in this conversation uh, you're going to get tired of me saying it, but it's just those three that that base nutrient that we use in natural farming, SPJ one to five hundred, brown rice vinegar, vinegar one to five hundred, and OHN one to a thousand. And so um, what you want to do is soak them for um, anywhere from an hour to you know, 10 hours. Um, if you are soaking them 10 hours, just be aware they might be popping in that cup um, because it really does speed up that, that germination um, time as well as um, increase kind of vitality in the, in the seed. Um, yeah, but that's it. I mean, if you did nothing else with natural farming other than popped your seeds with seed soak solution, I think you'd get a real boost. The pictures that I've seen from after you mentioned uh, seed soak solution uh, a few days ago when we talked, I went ahead and I looked it up and some of the side by side pictures people showed were really impressive. Like, you know, the normally a seed will will soak in just plain water and you'll get a tail and, you know, you move it over to soil or whatever. Um, but the ones that were in seed soak solution, yeah, they threw the tail, but you know, they, they've already got hairs coming out the side and they're like all rambunctious. They're like, hell yeah, let's go. Yeah. And it doesn't just feed the seed. If you are farming in living soil, you're also sending your kid to school with a, bag full of cookies to share with his friends uh, or her friends you know it's it's kind of like um giving them uh some some social boosts in their root zone to make those relationships that will be lifelong uh symbiotic relationships with the microbial world in their root zone and so it's it's a it's a pretty big deal um and and really uh, helpful it can be a little bit of a pain to deal with wet seeds. And, um, so if you soak them a short time before they pop, but you have some sort of auto seeder or something, um, you can soak them and then let them kind of, uh, just barely dry or dry enough that they're, they function as a dry seed for like an auto seeder, um, and still get the effect. Um, but if you, obviously, if you let them soak until the tails pop, you don't want to dry them back out, but yeah. It's um it's a pretty simple process and and it's good for uh, tree saplings um, all the way down to seeds. Let's talk about that idea of uh, kind of banking some of those nutrients for the plant. You know, sending the kid to school. So is the is the idea behind that anecdote that um, if the seed is soaked in soak seed soak solution and those nutrients that are in that solution are binding. Um, or even just statically clinging to the 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 root tail um, to become taproot, that when you put it in the soil, that seed is already um, bringing nutrients to the party, and so in the same way that we've got an adult plant that is trading incoming nutrition from the microbes in exchange 
for giving exudates to everybody living in the rhizosphere. Is it that same kind of thing? It's like even this young, this this young tail of the seed is, is, is coming to the soil packed with all the nutrients from the solution. And so it just jump starts that relationship. Exactly right. No, you, you explained, you said that really well. Um, and it's not just what's clinging to the root. It's actually been absorbed into the plant itself. And so it has that as a um, kind of strength, almost like it has extra to share from the get-go rather than being super needy from the get-go. Um, and, and yeah, that can really jumpstart that whole relationship in the, in the rise of fear. It's like, it's like being that person who shows up to the party with like, 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 like booze and beverage and food and they walk in the door with their arms full and everybody's like, yeah, they're here, you know? And, and yeah, I can see how the, how the soil would welcome that. So, all right, great. Well, thank you. I wanted to, wanted to hit on that germination thing. And so, uh, the next thing, um, let's talk about, um, the massive popularity of uh, fermented fruit juice um, versus fermented plant juice, because um, a lot of people tend to, uh, you know, think that these two different um, preparations work equally, but we, we know that they work differently. And I know there's confusion because there's so many contrasting opinions online. And if, and if the bro science is teaching both um, I, I know that, that there must be more to learn here. So, so would you clarify for us uh, when to use fermented plant juice versus when to use fermented fruit juice? You know, Shango, this, this is one of those questions that I just don't share with everybody. It's behind the behind the paywall, and you don't. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the the Korean intellectual property. <laughs> yes, yes. This is, this is where it stops. The freely sharing stops. No, that's a joke. This isn't. Uh, this doesn't work like that. Uh, uh, you know, you get. Um, anybody gets any question answered in in this whole. Um, kind of realm of tech and and um you know what what i do find though is when you're just starting out the questions are really similar they're the they're they're a lot of the same questions and they're in the basic understanding and then as people get a little more into it they start to understand kind of how it works and the questions change and so i have a lot of past students that are you know um what they asked when they first learned this versus what they're asking now three, four years later, is totally different. And, and I'm able to give the nuance and, and the, the details of the information um, where it just wouldn't be understood initially. Initially, it's, it is. It's a bit of a rabbit hole. And so it's, um, there, you kind of need to travel down a little bit before you understand that, that next bit. And Master Cho, when he teaches right now, you, you sit with him and um, there's so much good stuff. In, in what he has to say. But if you're just beginning and trying to understand what natural farming is, you're getting almost nothing out of the conversation because it, it requires a little bit of base understanding for, um, for some of the philosophy and, and whatnot to be um, understood. And it's not, it's not cultish. It's just, you know, you don't, you don't start at a, you know, a doctorate program when you go to college because, there's there's a bit of a journey to understand how everything connects and um no i uh yeah 
you always get the answers if you ask, unless it's like a six hour explanation <laughs> to get you all the dots connected. Right on. So, how, so when do we choose to use fermented plant juice versus fermented fruit juice? Yeah. So fermented fruit juice, believe it or not, even though it's highly talked about in the internet um, or on the internet, um, is, is very limited in its uses in natural farming. Um, we really only use fermented fruit juice in some uh, livestock um, um, feed preparations and then just in ripening. So in the last you know, three, four weeks of a plant's life would fermented fruit juice be a valid nutrient. And so if you were doing canna, for example, and you were soil drenching, you could bring in a fermented fruit juice there at the end, and you would also add in uh, 1 to 30 seawater. Um, and that is the enzymatic profile of ripe fruit compared to unripe fruit or plant material it's totally different. And so what it's telling the plant to do as far as um, what to do with, with, with sugars that they have built up, et cetera, is very different when you apply a fermented plant juice versus a fermented fruit juice. And if you're applying a fermented fruit juice, well, it's in vegetative growth. Um, it just is not the right signals for your plant. Mm. Those, those, those enzymes, the, the way they're expressed in a ripe fruit is um, is such that you really don't want that as a nutrient in your um, kind of early growth or vegetative growth or even early fruiting. You want that right as it's ripening off or finishing. Um, and, th- and so that's maybe one or two applications, three maybe. Um, so it's, it's, if and, you and it would be, bottle, it'd be in the soil too. Yeah, well, for cannabis, it would be yeah, for not for, for an apple or, or um, you know, or pears or, you know, tomatoes or something. Um, ripening solution has a really important or can have a really important role. Like a tomato farmer is going to get all these tomatoes in the peak. And then right as the weather starts cooling down, they got all these green tomatoes on the plant and they want them to ripen before kind of the season's over. It's a great time for ripening solution. It can be applied foliarly, and um, you're going to kind of boost boost those tomatoes right over the hump to get some more ripe fruit before they kind of um, pitter out. Um, but yeah, so fermented fruit juice is important in natural farming, but not necessarily in the importance uh, as as people talk about it on the internet. So, um, for folks who live, um, you know, in suboptimum cannabis growing areas, like where I live on Vashon Island in Washington state, where we have got shorter summers that are not as warm as say California, Mm -hmm. would it be uh, a good tool in my toolbox to use fermented fruit juice there after say week four to hurry up the flowering process process? Does it have that ability? It, it can. Um, it's going to be limited. I mean, you can't you can't change the cycle of a plant um, with fermented fruit juice. It's not like you can, you know, tell it to finish now. Um, you're you're still going to have that that genetic predisposition to going through its cycle in the way that it does. But it can help with kind of that finishing off and 
um, give it some signal signals on which biochemicals to be working on as far as, you know, uh, vegetative or, or kind of uh, photosynthesis type processes um, and structure in comparison to like fruit or flower um, finishing structure. And so, um, yeah, I think it could be useful in soil drench as you're approaching, you know, once you get within four weeks of harvest or three weeks of harvest, um, depending on how long your cycle is, um, it could be a great thing for soil drench, definitely. But, you know, since you brought up the seasonality of your area, um, don't be tempted to, you know, the snows on the ground or, you know, it's cold and uh, so you don't have access to fruit. Don't go down to your local supermarket and buy fruit to make FFJ. It is the wrong direction. Well, you got to keep on going. Why? Yeah, it's so um, I get a lot of questions on the Internet and I try and answer it as much as possible. Um, sometimes when they're, you know, um, questions where people have spent zero time kind of learning the basics and they want, you know, to understand how it all goes together. I'm like, ah, that'll be a couple pages. I'm not going to answer that question, but generally I'll answer. And, uh, one of the things I get all the time is pictures of FPJ with all this weird green mold all over it. And, uh, I see that and I say, oh, you're making uh, fermented fruit juice with bananas and you live in Michigan and it's November. Where'd you get your bananas? You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, without fail, that's them, you know, going down to their grocery store and buying some bananas, um, from Dole. And, uh, and really there's what we use in making FPJ or FFJ. Um, one second, Shingo. What we use in making FPJ or FFJ is the natural microbes on the surface of the plant to ferment itself. So if you look at a, you know, surface of a, a banana fruit under a microscope growing in the wild, it's covered in yeast and bacteria and sometimes fungi. And they, they live on the surface of these leaves and fruit. And they, when you harvest it, especially you follow the natural farming protocol to harvest it early in the morning at the peak kind of dew activity, you're getting all the microbes necessary to properly ferment that fruit right there on the fruit surface. Whereas if you buy it from a store, it's been bleach washed, even organic has been bleach washed. And the only microbes that are present to ferment that are what was on the hands of the grocer that put it on the shelf or on your hands when you put it on the conveyor belt or picked it off the shelf or, you know, what was in the air. And it's really too limited for proper fermentation. And so you get really weird results. 
I think that most of us are attracted by the sexy fruits, the tropical ones, you know, because sure. you know, I mean, heck, how many times have I heard people say that they've used papaya because they want their weed to taste like papaya, which is like preposterous, right? That's not how it works. But, um, it works. but here in the Pacific Northwest, some of the local people, they're using like stuff that is, you know, not as popular say like rose hips right rose hips, oh, rose hips are amazing yeah they work great but they're not they're not necessarily like sexy unless you're like cool farmer herbalist people right and sure. so so they go for the big bang thing and they want to go with the papaya or whatever from the store when actually that um you know the 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 rose hips or maybe even the the crab apples on your tree yeah. that are on your yeah. tree with your microbes are going to be way better for you than the more uh the more popular fruit heck yeah heck yeah and that's you know you're you're lapsing into the concepts of terroir and and the but but really it's I think in, in part, it's a result of much of us being from Hawaii, where this landed as far as the English-speaking education of natural farming. And so we're messing with banana. I'm, I'm teaching it using banana flour, or people are talking about it using um, papaya. And they do have wonderful nutrients, but it's not better than the rose hips or the um, crab apple or the apple from your neighbor's house or any of that it's it's not an it's not a superior thing it might have a slightly different nutritional profile but we don't necessarily chase nutritional profiles when we deal with fpj what we want is a thriving plant that isn't hit by bugs because what it's doing is it's expressing complete nutrition um, and therefore is packed with nutrients whereas if you have an anemic sexy plant you know like a papaya and it's totally struggling to make it and it's it's going to have poor nutrition even though you're going for it for some specific nutrient compared to say ice plant or rose hips or something that's just thriving and you can't kill it with a brick <laughs> well well said yeah we got a lot of ice plant here too oh ice plant would be amazing shango start making your fpj out of that Oh, all right, cool. I'm going to go down that path. Well, Chris, um, I know that your kids are going to come in like a tsunami here any second. So I, it's probably a good time for us to wrap up before, before they hit the door. So, um, you know, I really appreciate you coming back to spend uh, time with us here on Shaping Fire. You know, your, your experience is so valuable to everybody. And, uh, oh, here they come. And, uh, and we, I really appreciate your time, man. I look forward to having you back again. Hey, thanks for talking, Shango, and thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, reach out anytime and, uh, yeah, you can, you can find, uh, find ways to, uh, ask questions directly. And I usually answer. So. All right. So if you want to find out more about Chris Trump and his work, you can find it at naturalfarming.co is his website, not com. It's .co. His Instagram is at soil steward and make sure you check out shaping fire episode number 35 with Chris Trump, all about KNF basics and the rise of KNF popularity in the U S. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. 
On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news, exclusive videos, and giveaways. On the Shaping Fire website, you also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. Be sure to follow on Instagram for all original content not found on the podcast. That's at Shaping Fire and at Shango Los on Instagram. Be sure to check out the Shaping Fire YouTube channel for exclusive interviews, farm tours, and cannabis lectures. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose.